Our sermon lesson this morning is coming from Paul's letter to the Galatians in chapter 3. If you open up the center of your worship guide, you can find it there. We'll read selections throughout the sermon this morning. And I invite you to follow along with the sermon guide as well. Let's go before our Lord in prayer. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Water has a problem. Maybe, maybe you've heard it said before that 70% of the world's surface is covered with water. But did you know that only 1% of that is fresh water? And if you do the math and you figure out how much is caught up in glaciers, did you know that it actually comes out to only 0.007 of the fresh water in all the world is accessible to the 7.6 billion people that need it. But it's not the number that's the problem. The problem with water is actually people. Because people pollute water with waste. Waste that comes from industrial uh, practices, waste that comes from people, from garbage, from sewage, from fertilizer, whether animals or chemically engineered. There's waste ending up in our water and the results are cra- tragic. Take a look. There's a problem with water, and the, the problem comes because it's polluted. Did you know 1.5 million people a year that are dying because of waterborne illnesses are actually more people dying a year than violence and all wars combined? Sure, there's hope for change, but there's a problem with water because people pollute water with waste. You know what else has a problem? Faith. Faith has a problem because people pollute faith with works. If you're following along on our sermon guide today, that's our first fill in the blank is that there's a problem with faith. And the reason is because faith gets polluted with works of the law, things that people do. And this morning, we're going to take a look at why there's a problem because the problem is not new. The problem has been going on since the first century, since since missionary Paul was starting churches, and even longer than that, since the days of Abraham. The Apostle Paul, he would go around starting churches all over the place, and and one church in particular that he started was in an area called Galatia. The Galatians loved Paul, and Paul loved the Galatians. And today we're going to look at at their letter. In the fourth chapter, Paul kind of talks about the loving relationship he has with them when he says and recounts how they welcomed Paul as if he were an angel of God, as if he were Jesus himself. And the feelings were mutual because Paul also calls the Galatians, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So why such the affection between Paul and the Galatians? Well, the answer is, is actually quite simple. It's because Paul shared with them the gospel of grace. The message that we looked at last week, the message of free grace, of unconditional grace. Grace we called a free gift, but not just any free gift, a gift that is vital, essential for living. Because on our own, we are dead. Dead as doornails in sin, but in Christ God made us alive. More than that, he made us alive with Christ. He raised us with Christ and seated us together with Christ in heaven. So even though we're not there yet, even though the Galatians aren't in heaven yet, 
it is as though we are right there with Christ. We have his power. We have his love. We have his forgiveness. We have his hope. We have his joy. We have his peace. We have his purpose right here and right now. And it's because of grace. It's because grace is a gift, a free gift, yes, but a gift that came at a price, a price that we can never and will never have to pay back because it was paid for by the blood of Christ. Yeah, this is the message that Paul preached to the Galatians, the one of amazing grace that saves and amazes us. And the Galatians believed it. Their hearts were changed. Their lives were changed. But then Paul left. As was his custom, he stayed in the place for a while, and then he went on to preach and proclaim Christ in different places. But when he left, other people came. And these people weren't bad on the outside, and they certainly weren't terrible people. But what they said was absolutely polluted. That came after Paul, came at a pivotal point in the Galatians' walk with Christ. They had just learned about free grace and what it means to receive the gift of God's love for nothing. And they asked themselves, well, now what? What, What's next for me to do? And even though grace requires nothing of us, the people that came after Paul polluted their faith with works by telling them, hey, it's great that you are in God's family, but now you need to earn your keep. And here's Here's how you can get started with that. You can earn your keep, your way into God's family and making sure you stay here by not eating these foods. And you can eat these foods. Make sure when you do it, you use these proper utensils. And this was all in the Levitical law that also said, remember to keep the Sabbath day holy by don't do any work. Don't even raise a finger. Oh, and also here's a list of ceremonies, dates, and festivals that you have to keep all of them all the time. And by the way, oh gentlemen, if you're not, you need to be circumcised. And all of you need to do this all the time. Otherwise, how can you be certain, how can you be sure that God's going to love you? You're going to be right with him. He's going to accept you. Well, the Galatians drank this mixture of works with the pure, life-giving water of, of God's gospel. And they got sick. They got spiritually sick and they're in danger of losing their lives. And Paul, as you can imagine, is frustrated. People he loved, people who knew the message of what it's like to live in God's love were were getting sick spiritually because they were mixing work with grace, with faith. And so Paul wrote them a fiery letter, a passionate letter, a letter that we're going to read this morning starting in chapter 3. This is Paul's letter to the Galatians. He writes this, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? He didn't like sleep on this one. He just hit send right away. He said, Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his Spirit and works, miracles among you, by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? 
bam, 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 bam. Five times in five verses, the apostle Paul asks them, hits them up with five questions. He calls his family in the faith fools because of what they were believing. Essentially, his question is this. When I preached the gospel of grace, the message of Jesus Christ to you, did it bring joy? Did it bring forgiveness? Did it bring peace because of things that you do? Or does it bring all those blessings because of something someone already did? The Apostle Paul asked them, listen, did the Holy Spirit perform CPR on you? Did he take the paddles out and raise your dead heart? Because, look, here, you showed them the list of all the festivals and ceremonies and religious laws that you kept. Or is it because someone kept the law perfectly for you and made you alive even when you were dead? Did the Holy Spirit, did Jesus, with his grace, just give you a little a nudge, a boost to get going and then you were off and running and you finished out this race, this spiritual journey on your own? Or was it grace in the beginning, the middle, and the end? Well, the answer to us Seems kind of obvious, right? But what Paul is doing is talking to the Galatians about the basic, most fundamental, most important message found in the Bible. He's talking to them about the difference between the law, the works of the law, and the gospel, the grace found in the gospel. And while this is the most important messages found in the Bible, the only two messages found in the Bible, it's often the most confused. Here's, here's what they are. The law tells us about us. The law is all about you. If you're filling out the chart in your worship guide, that's the first one. The law, it's about you. And the law, it, it tells us what to do and what not to do. It gives us do's and don'ts. And these are come in the form of commandments, right? And commandments are to be obeyed, right? That's what you do with commandments. If a mom or a dad tells their son or daughter to go clean your room and the, the child says, hey, that's great. I believe you. What's the parent going to say? No, 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 no. You don't understand. Get to work. I, I told you to do something. That's how commands work, right? Commands, you know them. They're summarized in the Bible. We use the Ten Commandments, but you can break it down even further than this. The law says to love God and others. And throughout scripture, we know that the law demands one thing from us, that we do that perfectly. It demands perfection. You can't keep some of the law. You can't keep the parts of the law you're good at. No, the law says you must keep all of it. And the law is a good thing. It's a blessing. It's a, it's a great thing that we have this message in God's word, right? Because it's what keeps us out of harm's way. What keeps us spiritually pleasing our God, pleasing our neighbor, pleasing our friends, our relatives, and, and those that we live next to and, and rub shoulders with, right? It makes us do right things. But it's very different than the gospel. The law is not like the gospel. The gospel is about Jesus. And it's all about Jesus and not about you. And where the law tells us what to do and what not to do, it tells us about what Jesus did in the gospel. And while the law gives us commandments and says obey, the gospel gives us promises and says believe. 
You think about that parent and child relationship, right? If the parent says to the child, I love you, and the son or the daughter says, great, I'll do that. No, the parent would say, no, you don't get it. You just have to believe me. Just trust me. You don't have to do anything. I love you. And whereas the law tells us how to love God and love others, and this is what we need to do, the gospel tells us that God loves us. In fact, he loves the whole world so that he gave his one and only son, and in him, in Christ, we are made perfect. Perfection is not the standard. Perfection is the gift of the gospel. Two great messages, both found in God's word. One's the law, works of the law, and the other is the gospel. The gospel, the message of God's grace. And now when it comes to your relationship with God, how you're looked at by God, what does God think about you? Are you, are you a prized possession or are you someone who he disapproves of? Does he love you or does he hate you for not keeping the law? It's very important to know which one of these works because you can't mix both. It's either one or the other. Either you, you try to keep the whole law and please God, but we all know we can't do that, or we live by grace. Those are questions the Galatians had. Who, who is God? How does he feel about me? What does he, what does he think about me? And the people that followed Paul Gave them all the wrong answers. That same problem was going on in Martin Luther's day. Martin Luther, the reformer, lived in a time where people wanted to know those questions. Am I right with God? How does he feel about me? Does he, does he love me? Or how do I know if he loves me? And the church at that time answered them very much like the people who came after Paul. They gave them a lot of wrong answers. In fact, let me show you what they said. They said, God is love. In God, there is a well. There's a spring of his grace and his love. If you can see it, it says God, and there's a heart, right? This is God's love. And they said, God has this love. He has this grace, and he wants to give it to you. But he he doesn't give it directly to you. Instead, what he does is he gives it to people like the Pope. In fact, That is God's representative on earth and he pours his grace, his love into the Pope and it is his job to distribute it to people all over the world. But that's a pretty big job, right? And so the Pope delegates it. He delegates it to people like cardinals and bishops and and archbishops. And if you can see that, there's a little picture of an archbishop on there. And the Pope pours it into his cardinals and bishops, and not just them. They, in turn, go to the local priests, got a priest on here, and they get some of that grace and God's love, and then they give it out. So, if you want some of God's grace, some of his mercy, some of his love, and some of his forgiveness, what should you do? Well, you just go to your local priest, and you ask him. You ask him for it. Oh, well, but first you need to do something. You, you need to confess all of your sins and make sure you confess all of them, right? And once you confess them, then just listen to the priest because he'll tell you what to do to get forgiveness. Maybe you have to say some prayers and maybe you have to do certain charitable works or give a certain offering. But either way, do that. And if you do that, then maybe you'll get some of that forgiveness. Some of that love. This is the system. This is the cycle 
that Martin Luther grew up in. And there was a crisis. In fact, there was a spiritual drought all over the world because what he was getting was not the wealth of life-giving water that Christ had. What he was in fact getting, and if you notice it, was polluted water that was passed through people's hands, manipulated like it's some kind of commodity, and mixed together with works. And so what he was drinking was a spiritual cocktail mixed with faith and works that was really doing more harm than good. Martin Luther said, this this can't be it. There has to be another way that God gives us his love and his grace. And people said, ah, you're right, there is. You don't need popes. You don't need archbishops and cardinals. and You certainly don't need priests because God, in his mercy, spreads his love all over the universe. Here's a little spirit on here. And what God does, he goes around spreading his love. It's in the universe. It's all over the place. And if you feel connected to the universe, if you feel really spiritual, if you do all of the right things, then, then God will fill you with his love. But Martin Luther looked and said, no, it's not satisfying. It's not enough. I'm not getting filled with God's grace, his love. There there has to be another way. And Martin Luther did something. He did something that was unfortunately unprecedented in his time. He went to God's word. He went to God's word because, you see, Martin Luther became a priest because he thought that would get him closer up the chain to God. But here's the paradox, the irony of it all. Even though he did that, even though he worked and did more to be the best lawkeeper ever, he became more and more thirsty until he went to God's word. And he, and he read passages, a, a passage like the one that, that we read last week from Ephesians chapter 4 where we hear this, that because of God's great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that nobody can boast. When Martin Luther went to the word of God, what he discovered was a well of truths that tell us about God's heart. It showed us God's heart, and what he saw in God's heart was goodness. It was love. It was the gift of God. It was mercy. It was the good news that we call the gospel. And Martin Luther read on. He, he went to Romans and to find out more about what this gospel is, and he read this, Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Martin Luther discovered that the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ comes with power. It comes with the power of the Holy Spirit and whoever touches this message, this word of God, receives salvation. In fact, they are given salvation and they're saved by faith. Faith alone, without works. And even though this message, this message of salvation by faith is found throughout scripture, there's one book of the Bible in particular 
that Martin Luther fell in love with because it addressed this issue between the works of the law and, and faith in the gospel head on. Martin Luther spent a lot of time in this book of the Bible. In fact, he, he went on to call it, this book of the Bible, his Katie von Bora. That was his wife's name. He said, I am married to this book and it is so good to me. That book of the Bible was Galatians. Where our lesson comes from today where Paul goes on to say these words. He said, so again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. That is, make people who are not Jews right with God by faith. And announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. What Paul is saying is that Abraham was not made righteous because of his character, because of what he did, because of how good he looked to God, but because for the simple fact that he believed. And now all people, all nations who rely on faith will be blessed in the very same way. What Martin Luther realized was that faith comes from one place alone. Faith comes from the message of the gospel and it comes directly to us. What he realized is that this is how faith works. If you can see, this is a pipe, okay? And this is a picture of the Bible, the word of God. And these are pictures of the sacraments. We have baptism and the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion. And wherever the word of God is found, whether it's in preaching of the word or the word of God connected in baptism and the Lord's grace to us, so he connects us with himself through his word, through those, and he pours in us directly his love, his promises, his hope, his forgiveness, his purpose, his son. Over and over, the Bible talks about that it is by faith, that it is through faith that you are saved. This is how faith works. Faith fills you up with God's love for no other reason than you are connected to him. We said before that the, the problem that people have with faith is work. But there is a promise that comes with faith. And that is Christ. Christ is the promise that comes to us because of faith. Now faith is somewhat of an abstract concept, right? And so let's break this picture down just a little bit further to help us understand how it is that faith works and why it is that faith alone can save us. Faith alone is, as we saw before, the picture of a pipe, if you will. And what God does through that, through his word, through his sacraments, is that he gives us his grace. And yet, at the very same time that God is pouring his grace into us, he is also producing something in us. Just like water goes and makes the grass grow, so also when the grace of God's water pours into our hearts, something grows up, something flourishes and buds, and that is faith. Every time that a baby is baptized, faith happens. Because there, God's 
word is connected to that person. Every time that adults or little children hear the song, Jesus loves you, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, faith happens. Every time you hear the message of the gospel, whether it's in a sermon or whether it's in the forgiveness of sins that says, go in peace, your sins are forgiven. Whether it's at the end of the service where we say, God bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face shine on you whether it's in a song, that you hear the message of good news, their faith is working in you. Why? Because you are connected to God's word. Faith alone is this. It is a product, something produced, something made in you because of our connectedness to God's words. Secondly, we'll look at this picture. We'll look at the picture of a rock climber hanging by a rope on a rock wall. You know, people often say that, that faith is blind, right? Just take a leap of faith, a jump in the dark, right? But faith isn't blind. And that's not how faith in Christ works. Because you see, true faith, saving faith, has an object. It has something firm that is set in and secured in. You know, having faith just to have faith, or I believe just because, well, I believe is just like a rock climber hanging on the side of a rock wall hundreds, hundreds of feet below the valley below and with a rope in your hand, not connected to anything, saying, well, if I fall, I believe this rope will save me because, well, that's what a rope does, right? No, no, no. That's how faith, just to have faith works. But true saving faith is a rope connected to something, anchored in something, set in Christ our solid rock. Faith is this. Faith is a trust anchored in God's work, anchored in the person of Jesus Christ. Faith always has an object, and that object is Jesus and what he did. Third and finally, we see this. Faith is a constant confidence that we're plugged into because of Christ's wattage. Wattage meaning just power. I wanted another W word. So if you run all right in power there, that's fine too. But oftentimes people think that faith is a feeling. Faith is, is something that comes from us and they maybe picture it like a, a battery inside the hip of the Energizer bunny, right? Well, I, I have some news even for Energizer, but all batteries eventually fail. Even, even rechargeable batteries die at some point, right? They need to be plugged in and in the same way, that's what happens to feelings. That's what happens to emotions. Eventually they change, they die, they go up and they go down. No, faith doesn't depend on you and it doesn't depend on your feelings either. Faith isn't a power inside of you that just happens, but rather faith is like a plug, a, an outlet. Faith is more portal than power. Faith is us plugging into God's promises. Faith is us being illuminated by the news that the Lamb of God took away is all of our sins. And you look at these. Faith alone is a product from our connectedness. It is an anchor in Christ's work. It is something that we have, a power because we are plugged in. What do you notice? Well, all of these come from outside of us. And all of these give faith or give the ability to live to the person who didn't have that otherwise. Faith is your lifeline. Faith is the very thing that connects us to Christ 
gives us faith. Faith is the very thing that anchors us in him and his love. Faith is the only thing that gives us power, motivation, and the ability to live for him when we're plugged in to him. As we wrap up, it's important to think about these things and let me ask you some straightforward questions. If your relationship with, with God feels like it's kind of giving you a, a stomach ache, if your, if your relationship with church or this whole Christianity thing is, well, leaving you not quite satisfied, if, if you're feeling like, I don't know if my faith is very strong. Let me, let me ask you, how's your connection to opportunities to hear God's word? How's your connection? How are the pipes doing connected to opportunities to partake of the Lord's Supper, to hear the preaching of his word, to spend time in God's word alone? If you feel like you're going through life and it's more like climbing a rock wall that you cannot get over, you're tired, you're worn out, you're stressed, you're worried, and you feel like if you just let go, you're going to fall and you're die, well, let me ask you, who, who are you connected to? Are you anchored in yourself or in Christ? Where does your joy, your confidence, your happiness come from, your optimism if you feel like you're just trash at work, if you're no good as a student, if you're a worthless parent, what are you plugging into? Is it a constant stream of social media or other media entertainment? Are you plugging into the latest self-help books or Google? Or are you plugging into yourself? Seriously, what are you plugging into? Because if it isn't God's power, what power are you trying to go on? These are important questions to consider because the truth is someday each and every one of us, if not many times throughout our life, are going to find ourselves like the Galatians. It's true, at some point, all Christians, especially people who surround themselves with that message of free, priceless, life-giving grace and freely given faith in Christ, who alone atones for our sins, well, at some point, we're going to ask, what's next? What's next for me to do as a Christian? Because we are confronted by a force, a force of sin that pollutes even our minds and entices us to think, well, well, this is just too good to be true, this faith alone and grace alone. So what do I have to do? There must be something, right? Faith alone, this, this can't be it. Does God just love me? the way I am? Have I earned his love? And that's a question. That's a question that a lot of people ask and even someone you might know. It's a question that Saving Private Ryan asked himself. Have you earned it? The film, Saving Private Ryan, ends with now saved Private Ryan, an elderly veteran standing over the grave of Captain Tom Miller, who is played by Tom Hanks. Private Ryan is standing besides his beautiful family and his faithful wife, and yet he is a broken man. With a demoralized and dejected spirit, he mutters over the grave of Captain Miller, the man who saved him, I, I tried. I tried to live my life the best I could. I, I hope it was good enough. Turning to his wife, 
James Ryan says, tell me, tell me I've lived a good life. Tell me I'm a good man. Why did he ask these things? Well, at the scene's pivotal, at the movie's pivotal point, an emotional scene takes place where the now-saved Private Ryan looks and speaks to Captain Tom Miller in his final seconds of life. And Tom Miller brings him close and with his dying breath looks at him and says, James, earn this. Earn it. And those are his last words. At the end of his life, Private Ryan was a downtrodden man because Captain Tom Miller, he, he really didn't save his life. He actually cursed it. He cursed his life when he told him to earn the freedom, the gift that had been given to him. Captain Miller cursed his life because for the rest of Private Ryan's days, he was constantly trying to earn something that he could never pay back. A gift that he could never pay back. And therefore, he was never certain whether or not he actually earned it. Whether or not he did enough. As Paul closes out the section of Galatians here in chapter 3, he says this. Starting at verse 10 of chapter 3. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Ah, but Christ Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. Christ redeemed us in order that the blessings given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. It's by faith alone. Praise be to God that Christ became the curse of the law works for us so that we might live as free and redeemed women and men. Oh, thanks be to God that the one who saved our lives, our Savior, oh, he did not save us and then draw us near to whisper, earn this, earn it. But our Savior is one who drew us near and as he died, he proclaimed it is finished. Oh, therefore, we will stand as children on that promise. We will fix our eyes on him, our soul's reward, till the race is finished and this world is done. We will walk by faith alone. Amen.